0: adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified." What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us now turn to the back of our bulletin and read together as a congregation Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life thanks be to god
1: one of the one of the gods in our culture is self identity Figuring out who you are, it's a trend among younger peoples that infect older people trying to understand who who am I. The issue with it and the reason that it becomes an idol is because we've been taught to look inward. So when we ask the question, who am I, we start this internal search, trying to figure out who I am from the inside out. You go look in the mirror, and you look at your corpse in the mirror and try to understand, well, what is my life going to be? Our passage today deals with that question, who are we? How do we understand ourselves? And in some sense, the answer is going to be we don't. Our life is not defined from within. Our life is defined from without. Remember that in the church in Colossae, these are young believers Paul did not visit this church. Instead, they've, uh, they've uh, been evangelized through the work of Epaphras, a, a and they've accepted the truth of go- the gospel. They are growing in faith, love, and hope, and Paul is spurring them on towards a growth in wisdom and knowledge, and he's addressing a potential issue that will enter into their midst of people that are coming in and, and will say, Well, in Christ... You need to look backwards to the law. You need to look back. You need to come back into the tabernacle. How do you enter the temple? You come back in with these rules. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. And Paul's warning to them is cling to Christ. There is no life in those laws. There is no life in the old age. Instead, your life is found, defined, and identified in Christ. So we're going to read then this whole section, our 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 piece today is uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Uh, it acts as a transition. Because we're finishing our time in Colossians for this year, uh, we'll pick this up again next year and deal with this, the forward-looking part of the transition in, in the new year. But for today, we're going to use it as, as a hinge looking backwards to summarize all that Paul has said in the answer to the overriding question of w- what life in Christ looks like. How we obtain victory over, over the flesh and receive the fullness of the indwelling of God. So we'll read again, beginning in chapter 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the old arrangement of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of God dwells in body, and in him you also have been made full. He is the head of all rule and authority, and in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and he did make you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having blotted out the handwriting which consisted of decrees that were against us, that were hostile to us, He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and when he had stripped the rulers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, things which are just a shadow of what is to come, but the body of Christ. Let no one keep ruling you by delight, by willful self-abasement, by willful humility in the worship of angels, entering on what he has seen, puffed up without cause, in vain by his mind of flesh, and failing to hold fast to the head, from whom the whole body, being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which comes from God. If you have died with Christ, or since you have died with Christ, To the old arrangement of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees like this do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These all refer to things destined to perish in consumption. In accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men, these are words which have to be sure, a word of wisdom, in willful religion and humility and neglect of the body but they have no value against fleshly satisfaction if then you have been raised up with christ keep seeking the above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on the above not on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god when christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word spoken now, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, unblock our ears and bore them out, so that Jesus, who speaks true words and gives true wisdom, may speak to us from your right hand. Lord, we want to be filled with the knowledge of God and wisdom and understanding. We want to be filled with that which comes from above us so that we can go about our work as true men and true women working on the earth but with the pattern of that which is above. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us now today with your knowledge, with your wisdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So remember, again, then, this immediate context of chapter 3, it's an answer. So we can't look at, at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which, if you, if you go look, many, many sermons are taught on this particular passage. It, it's, it's a wonderful passage that fills us hope, but frequently they're disjointed from the text. This is a continuation of his line of reasoning. And you can see it directly in the beginning of, of chapter three, verse one. He says, "Since you've been raised up, it, it's hinged on the truth of verses nine through nine through uh, six fifteen. Sorry, verses nine through fifteen, in which Jesus has come. All the fullness of God dwells in Him in a body. We've seen it. We know who Jesus is. He is the anointed one, the one who's come fulfilling the promises from Genesis one verse one all the way until now." And he's shown us that God does dwell in body, and now, in fact, we've experienced it because God dwells in us. He does it in the spirit of Jesus dwelling in our midst. And furthermore, on top of all of that, this Jesus whose spirit dwells in and among us, he is the head of all rule and authority. We have been united with him in such a way that the old circumcision, that which was done in the flesh, matters no more because we've been circumcised with a holistic circumcision, that which strips the entire body of flesh. That's what kills us from the very beginning, and we've done it. This has been done in us Verse 12, when we were buried with him in baptism, we're one with him. The name of Jesus is stamped on us so that when Christ died, we died. And that's critical to our passage. And when Christ is raised up, we're raised up. Even though we were dead in transgressions and sins, Jesus already now has put us to death fully and finally. And we'll talk about what that means. And now we are alive to understand what happens in chapter three verses one through four we have to believe these as objective realities what is real we tend to look at what's real as what we can taste and touch feel smell look at what our five senses tell us that's what i'm i'm trained to do as a scientist who use those five senses, senses and they define reality for us but in our passage what we find out is that god says jesus says to us that our life what's really our life Is hidden it's hidden up in the heavens with Christ in some sense it's hidden even from us he made us alive together with him he's forgiven our transgressions he's taken out of the way he's blotted out that handwriting written by God which was decrees that were against us they condemned us they were hostile to us They excluded us from entering into God's presence. And he stripped the rulers and authorities. He who is the head, the firstborn from the dead, has stripped the rulers and the authorities of their power so that they do not have power over us anymore. Therefore, don't let them rule you. Don't be subject to them. Don't be subject to their laws or to their rules because Jesus stripped them at the cross. Verse 20, we have an immediate context then for for us, since then, verse 20, since you have died with Christ. Now notice the parallelism in chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've died with Christ, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, since you've been raised with Christ. So there's two truths side by side. Since you've died with Christ to the old arrangement of the world, and we'll talk about the kind of full description of that death here in just a minute. But since you've died with Christ to that old arrangement, don't submit to its rules. They aren't going to help you. And remember that there was a threefold reason why, Because those were shadows, the reality has come, the body of Christ has come. Because in, in those things, they will not allow you to enter. It's a false humility, a false wisdom, one that does not bring you into the presence of God. Instead, true wisdom is only attached. And given from the head, it flows downwards. And then finally, those rules and those rulers are of no value in your flesh, in, in your fight against the flesh. We've been brought in, we know that there is a problem. We struggle with it. We know there's a problem in our flesh, and God has this war against the flesh, but he says that those things will not help you in your fight. They are not valuable. For a fight against fleshly satisfaction or for the fight and being filled up with the fullness of God. Instead, those are gifts. And now in chapter three, he's going to give us the, the positive side. All right, if those are of no value, what is of value? What is of value in in making sure that we continue to walk in Christ Jesus, to know that to to continue on in this train where we've been rooted and we, we don't want the root to die. We don't want to be cut off. Instead, we want to continue to be built up, to be, um, to be established, confirmed, and overflowing. How, how does one go about that? And chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 are an answer then to our questions. It answers who are we. It answers how we continue on firmly in the walk of Christ. So let me read these four verses again, and I'll give you an outline that hopefully will, will draw the various phrases together for you. Since then, chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the above, not on the earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also be revealed with him in glory. This particular section in Paul's letter, I said it acts as a transition, so it looks backwards, it looks forwards, and he, he organizes it in a way that helps you look backwards and look forward, but there's a central truth embedded in this passage. And so if you look at verses 1 through 3, you'll notice there's some parallel ideas going on here. Since you've been raised with Christ, that's the first phrase in, in chapter 3, verse 1, is parallel then to verse 3. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ. Those two things go together. Now, sequentially, of course, we think about the order as you died, you've been raised, and now you're alive. And that's, that's the, the sequence that we ought to think of. But Paul has them on, on two parallel sides in this chiasm. And then around these two truths, he has an imperative that he repeats twice. Command. I was chastised last week because I gave an English lesson and it wasn't specific enough. Thank you to the fruze. I was talking about gerunds, not just participles. So I'll get advice next time before I give any more English lessons. But Here, the imperative in chapter 3, verse 1, is keep seeking the above. And you should notice that that's almost exactly the same as what he says in verse 2. Set your mind on the above. Those are the the same thing. It's two different verbs. They give us a little bit of a different flavor, but the imperative is the same. You've been raised up with Christ. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. So look at him. Look look, Look up because your life isn't here. Your life isn't found in a mirror. And the central truth is Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why do we look up? Because Christ, who's raised us, with whom we've died, with whom our life is hidden, where is he? He's, he is sitting at the right hand of God. Sometimes we don't stop and think that Jesus actually is sitting in the heavenlies, at the right hand of God. Paul says, think on this. This truth should permeate our lives, and so where are our thoughts? Where is our vision looking? It's looking to where our life is. And he gives us the key then to understanding the, the imperative. So how do you get from point A to point B? You've been raised up with Christ and Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why do you keep looking? The answer is verse 4. This is the interpretive key to the chiasm. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, when he's uncovered, then you will be revealed with him in glory. So what Notice there Paul's not trying to he's not trying to trick us there is a hiddenness about this life that exists in Christ But he says here's how you need to understand what God is doing You actually have died you have been raised so in this passage these are past tense truths for believers who've been united with him in baptism you died with him. You died with Christ in baptism. You've been raised with him in baptism. You've been made alive with him. Those are all true. But you can't see the full effect of it, yet your life is hidden with Christ and God. And we have to ask the question, how does this help us? How does this help us in, in the warning passage? How is this in the answer to that? But Paul wants us to—he wants us to obey this command first. The commands, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. He says those are of no value to you. Not if you start from the earth. If you're you're starting from the earth and trying to ascend to heaven, that won't help you because those commands are earthly commands. You abstain, you don't abstain. You're still earthly, you're still fleshly. The only thing that helps is if we actually die and are raised up and we start from heaven, and life flows downward. Remember verse, uh, verse 19. You hold fast to Christ from whom all life flows. All wisdom flows downward. And where is Jesus at? He's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. So this, then, is the sequence. You've died, you've been raised up, you've been made alive with Christ. So now, seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above, because that's where Christ is. And even though it seems as though your life is hidden right now, when Christ is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. So there's a number of of questions that we ought to have. What does it mean that our life is hidden? What is this death and resurrection? We've partially answered that in previous passages. And what is the revelation of Christ in glory? I think there's multiple parts to that answer, but this idea of glory is one that we've come across before. Remember, and and, by the way, the idea of a hidden mystery. Remember that Paul's epistle to the Colossians hinges on this truth, that a mystery that was covered up for all ages past has now been revealed. So something that was hidden is now uncovered. Now, he says, that uncovering has brought you in with Christ you're united with Christ you gentiles that were hostile excluded by by the law the old arrangement now in baptism you've received full circumcision you're full members of Christ and you're lifted up to the right hand of God so that mystery of Christ and the unification of Jew and Gentile of the authority given to mankind from Genesis one is revealed in Christ, who now sits at the right hand of God. But now we have a new incorporation into that mystery. So that if you ask the world looking at us today, we're a motley crew, and nothing has changed. We still we still are we still are dying. And try to teach your kids. They struggle with this, right? We believe in Christ, we've been made alive, but but your body's still dying. And they'll watch their parents begin to get old and wrinkly and uh, lose their minds. It's coming for all of us. I've noticed none of those things, obviously. (laughs) But death is on its way. Our life is hidden. So I'll repeat this. If you go look in a mirror you won't see a change in your body. But Paul says you have already died. Remember, death is moved. This is God's solution for us. Death is moved from the end of life to the beginning of life. So even though we think we're on our way to death as our bodies get older and frailer and then disappear, or we watch our loved ones die, that death, does not mean anything anymore because we've already died. We're already in life. We already are alive. Sometimes we don't know it ourselves. We forget. And so Paul's writing to the church to help them remember that this is what Jesus has done in, for, through you, unto Him. Jesus has put you to death and given you life. So then let's... let's talk just a little bit about these ideas. So we'll start in order of sequence, not in order of of our passage. We begin with death. We saw in verses 11 and 12 that in him we were circumcised. Our flesh was cut off with a circumcision made without hands. This describes the same truth, that we were united with Jesus who died on the cross And because we're one with him, when he died, we died. We were put in the grave with Christ. We were raised up with Christ. Well, what does that mean? God gives us the gift of a baptism we can see, whereby the name is placed upon us. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The name of God is put upon us. But we are united with him in a way that's somewhat mysterious it's hard for hard for us to grasp we have to grasp it in faith and say all right god has circumcised us in the person of jesus so that when his body of flesh was stripped we died with him now in verse 5 he's going to give us another imperative You've died, but in verse 5 of chapter 3, if you, if you fast forward and look there, he says, So, therefore, put your earthly body to death. You've already died, now, now put yourself to death. So both those things are true. In Jesus we have died, and because we're dead... We're called to put our earthly body to death. And he, his, he's going to give us a, a couple lists of, of five. So the first one is about immorality and sexual sins. The second one is going to be about sins of the, of the tongue. But remember that verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, they are the answer. How can this be? How can we gain victory over the flesh? And it's by moving death to the beginning of life. So if you, if you read through all of Paul's epistles, you know that sometimes he says we've died to sin. He, sometimes he says we, we've died to the law. Sometimes he says we've died, as he does here in verse, chapter 2, verse 20. We've died to the old arrangement of the world. All of those go together. We died. We died, and we are actively then putting to death the corpse that's already dead. Notice in, uh, in verse 13, you were dead. This is not a competition between dying with Christ or living apart from Christ. It's a a differentiation between death and death. You were already dead and Christ puts you to death. You were dead in your transgressions and sins because what is life? We've been discussing this in the book of Colossians. What does it mean to be alive? There's this notion that life is the heartbeat in your body but that is not an idea that we find from the Bible there's there's two words for life there's life and then there's life you hear the difference right and two different words life and life life comes from being filled with God we went back to Genesis multiple times to see that truth even the body of flesh, when God made Adam and Eve, there was no life in the dirt until God breathed life into it. And so the same thing is true of us. Being filled with the fullness of God is life. Apart from that fullness, there is no life. And so Paul can say, at the same time, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And in the temporal sequence, you're, you're going to die. You're, you know, you're a walking zombie. You're an alivened corpse. You've got the paddles puffing air into your, into your lungs to keep you going for a few more seconds. But functionally, you're already dead. That body now has died again in Christ, the, the one that was already dead because it was apart from God. That, that self, that old man, is dead. And if you flip forward to chapter 3, verse uh, verses, uh, verse 10... You'll see he's telling us then as a command, we complete this death. We, and we act upon what's already true. When we put off the old, and verse 10, we put on the new, my, my translation says self, self, but the word is man. We're putting off one man, and we're putting on a new man. That old man that did describe us, that that is the man that's dead. That is the man that was alive to sin. That is the one that is full of... Fear and lashes out at every, every little thing. Now, that kind of death, we, we experience in, in, in life, and you, if you observe yourself, so now I'm telling you to look in the mirror a little bit, you, uh, at least I observe myself, and where you see your flesh lashing out, it's at the seams of life. so, when you look at, at your life, my life, there's big transitions in life. For some of you younger people that are no longer children but not quite adults, you're sitting on a seam of life. And one life is going to end and another life is going to begin. And our life with Christ is like that. There's an old age and there's a new age. But we see on the seams of life then that there's an increase in, in fear. I know uh, when I took my family away, there was fear. Fear of what, what would happen because it's, un, it's unknown. We can't look into the future. It's, it's hidden. That life that's coming up is hidden away from us so that we can't see it. And so we're afraid. When we came back here, I was afraid again. Again. And my wife can tell you, I'm not proud of it, but that fear comes out. And it, it, for, for me, it came out in a short temper, snippiness, because you, you're looking at that transition and what's on the other side is unknown. Paul is telling us our life in crisis is, is like that. We're putting to death, though, and we're, we're bringing the, the death all the way to the beginning of life. So all those seams leading up to the final death We've already walked through what real death means with Christ. So that we're called to put aside fear. We're called to put aside the things that control us, the lust, the greed, the the desire for domination, which all arise out of our, our fear that we're weak and because we don't know what's coming around the corner. But Paul is telling us, fix your mind on the things above because your life your life is there. You've been raised up with Christ. So we've been raised. We've been raised up with him. So you go back to verse 12. How are we raised? Well, we're, we're raised in our unification with Christ in baptism so that when he came out of the grave, we came with him. His resurrection is our resurrection. Resurrection because we are one with Christ. If you've heard the good news, the truth of the gospel, this is part of that truth. You've died and you've been raised, and now you are alive. We read Romans chapter 8 this morning, he talks about that resurrection in terms of being raised up to the Spirit. So that we come out of the grave and and we're lifted up to a life now. We're alive to righteousness, 1 Peter 2. And we walk in the newness of the Spirit, so we walk in a new arrangement. And that newness of the Spirit describes our life now. We've been lifted up out of the pit. And out of, by the way, a desire to die. If you... (laughs) In our Bible time this week, we were doing Revelation with the kids, and we're uh, probably behind the study here a little bit, but we'll surpass it. And we're on the, the sixth seal, and remember that the kings, the rich, the slaves, all of them are crying out for the rocks to fall on them, for them to be hidden, to, to, to be crushed. And ironically, apart from Christ, we have this own implosive desire Whereby we're putting ourselves to death. You can see it in certain personality types, where you're afraid. You're afraid of life, and so you cover it up. You can do that. You can do that with a continual state of drunkenness. You can do that with with a continual state of hiding in in video games. And these are modern day. Well, one's modern day expression. One is an age old expression of the same the same fear. And you look at that person, and they start looking like the corpse that they are. You, you, you start showing, showing forth the death that you're buying for yourself. Of course, the flip side of that is not any better, where you cover up your fear, your weakness, by trying to run yourself to death. Your body may look a little bit better, but you're no more alive. Resurrection life is being filled with the Spirit of Jesus. That Spirit gives us life, and that Spirit is the same Spirit by which we now conduct ourselves. We walk in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter, not according to the old arrangement where you entered through those old principles. But instead now Paul is saying we've already been raised up. We have already entered not just into the earthly temple, but into the heavenly throne room. And we've done that in Christ For you have died and your life is hidden. We've been made alive together with Christ. Notice what he says in verse 4. He talks about that life. We've died, we've been raised up. In verse 4 he says, When Christ, who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory the life that we live Paul he defines it for us as Christ your life is Christ that's a rather simple statement that's rather hard to understand your life is Christ What, what, what does he mean he uses all kinds of prepositions throughout his books your life is in Christ he's used that one here Your life, I I think maybe the best way to understand our life is Christ is to use the prepositions that Paul has already introduced for us. This Jesus who's given us life, with whom we have life, remember back from chapter 1, we had two descriptions of Jesus. He is the Son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then he says, by him, all things were created, through him, and to him, or for him. So those three prepositions, if you remember from chapter 1, and then there's, they're repeated in, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, through him, to reconcile all things to him, pla- to, to himself through the blood of the cross through him and for him so in him, through him, for him all things exist in creation and in redemption and we've now been united with Christ such that our life is is Christ it's given to us by Christ, by the work of Christ remember he's the one that took us in himself on the cross by which we're dead and raised up He's the one who blotted out the the decrees that were against us, that were hostile to us. He's the one that stripped the rulers and the authorities that were accusing us and subjecting us. Our life is given to us in Christ. It's given to us through Christ. And then you think about that last one. It's given to us for Christ. We live unto Christ now. So that the life that you now lead, the life that we lead as individuals and the life that we have corporately is unto Christ. Him, And that's what Paul is trying to get us to think about. Set your mind, seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above because that's where our life is. We're, we're aiming towards where Christ is. That's where we're headed. Objectively, it's real right now to such an extent that Paul can tell us that this truth, that Jesus is seated in the heavenlies is true of us right now. We're seated with him in the heavenlies back in Ephesians chapter 2 already. We're seated with him. And yet, we're still on our way to be seated with him. Both are true. Verse 3, he says that this life is hidden. The life that we have with Christ is hidden. Well, what does that mean? I think there's a couple dimensions we can think about that on. So I, I want you to think more expansively. What does this mean for us? Our life is hidden with Christ. Well, who's it hidden from? The first part and the easy part is our life is hidden from the world. The mystery of Christ has been revealed, but it's been revealed to us, not not to the world. They still walk in blindness. Go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The light of the gospel has penetrated our hearts so that we understand the mystery of Christ, but not everybody else. So they cannot see. That life is hidden. And so if you start trying to compare your life on the terms of the world, you won't see the life that you have in Christ. Secondly, and I already mentioned this, that life in some sense is hidden from us so that we don't even know with fullness what we will become. Keep your finger here in Colossians and flip forward to 1 John chapter 3. And I'm going to read there. John tells us this. See how great a love the Father has Bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. So the world doesn't know us. Our life is hidden from the world. But there in verse 2, our life is hidden from us in some sense as well. So Christ has been revealed. He is being revealed. He came in the clouds and he put the old age to death. And that was a revelation of Christ in which there was an even further uncovering. So the church at Colossae... They didn't even know as much as we know about what that life looks like because they were waiting for the end of the, the old age when the temple was destroyed. That revelation has occurred, but there's another revelation. We, be, we live between the comings of Christ so that we too are, in a sense, waiting to figure out, to understand the fullness of what we will be. God made us to be crowned with glory and honor well, what does, that, what does that mean? I don't know that we can grasp the fullness of what that means. What we can do is we can look to Jesus. The author of the Hebrews reminds us of it. It's one of my favorite verses as he's quoting Psalm 8. Remember, he says about us and about Jesus. But firstly, thinking about us, what is the Son of Man that you consider him? Who is he? That you've given him such a weight of glory and honor to rule over the work of your hands. We don't yet see all things subjected to him, to man. So we don't yet see the fullness of that truth. We see it in part. We see it in even fuller revelation than the church at Colossae. But we don't see the fullness. But we do see Jesus. Jesus, who's been raised up to the right hand of God on high, who's seated on the throne. We see him. So if you want victory over the flesh, do this. Seek the things above. Remember what Jesus said? Seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to to you. He's talking about the worries that concern us. The worries of of food and drink, our our worries may be a little more advanced because we're richer. We worry about what our life's going to be, who we're going to marry. If you're young, you're worried about that because life is hidden. What's coming is hidden from you. You can't see it. Well, stop worrying. Stop being afraid. And set your mind on the things above. Seek the kingdom of God first, and all those things will be added to you. Paul's not telling us to live in the clouds and ignore down here. He's telling us to set our minds up in the heavens and everything else on the earth. All these things will be added to you. Our life then is patterned after Jesus, who died, was raised resurrected, exalted who sits at the right hand of God and we are following that same sequence in one sense it's already done in another we're actively, we're actively participating in the death, the resurrection and the exaltation so we see Jesus, fix your minds on Jesus Matthew 16 he says it, he says it this way in Matthew 16 Jesus is telling Peter about Part of the authority that's being given now. It's an authority given to the church. He tells him, On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he tells him how this authority is going to be given. It's going to be given as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and the elders and the priests and the scribes will kill him and raised him up on the third day and Peter took him aside and he rebuked him. He said, may it never be. May these things not be. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan, because you're a stumbling block. You're not setting your mind. It's the same, same, same word here. You're not fixing your mind on God. The translation said God's interest, but it's on God, but man. The authority given to The church given to us in the church of binding and loosing is the authority of Christ given through death and resurrection. Fix your minds on Jesus. We walk in his footsteps so that in the next verse, in verse 24 of of Matthew 16, Jesus continues the same train of thought. And he says, if you wish to come after me, deny yourself. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory, in the glory of his Father, with his angels, and will give to every man according to his deeds. So even here in Jesus' words, death is moved to the beginning of life. You give up your life like Jesus. And then, like Jesus, we're following in his footsteps. He was crowned with glory and honor. Because we're united with him, it's already happened, but it is happening now. So this central truth upon which we are to fix our minds, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Turn with me back to Psalm 110. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. If you take all the allusions, I didn't count them up, but it might be one of the most quoted verses, verse 1 here, or alluded verses. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So that's, that's the allusion in our text. The anointed one, the anointed man is seated at the right hand of God. He's there first. Now, here in verse 1, notice what comes next. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, when David writes this in the way that we interpret this, there's, there's, there's some ambiguity, but God the Father is speaking to God the Son. Yahweh is speaking to the Lord, but the, the, Jesus is also Yahweh, so it gets confusing. But God says to, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And then what he's doing when Jesus sits at the right hand is making his enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus dies, is raised up, sits at the right hand of God, and then this is the call of God the Father. I am making your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, hear Paul. Set your mind on what's going on above, where your life is hidden with Christ and God, the very one who's seated at the right hand of God, and what is God up to? God is making your enemies a footstool for your feet. We are united with him, and God is now working in us to complete this work. We were enemies. Our old man was enemies, put to death, and that man is, is being put to death, subjected as an enemy. We have a participation in that. If you keep reading in the psalm, you'll see then that Adonai at his right hand in verse 5, he's going to shatter the kings in their way in the day of his wrath, Well, there is this is a continuing work of God who's subjecting enemies unto himself. So, as we're raised up, seated with Christ at the right hand of God, this is what God is doing. So, what's the answer to, to the dilemma? You don't enter through the old age, through the old rules, through the old rulers. Neither do you subject the flesh through the old rules. Instead, by attaching ourselves to Christ, by fixing our mind on Christ, God himself is at work in us putting those enemies to death. And we can read this both as internally our old man as well as our enemies outside of these walls because we were those and God brought us in. He's doing all of that work in through us unto the glory of Christ to the end that we are going to be lifted up finally and fully with him. Him. Now, just a a forecast, you keep reading in that Psalm. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. And this is to Jesus in his body. So, another way to understand this life that's hidden with Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God, how is it hidden? It's hidden in us individually so that we don't see the fullness of it. It's hidden to our enemies, they see even less. But there's also a corporate aspect to it so that the church that you see right now that we get all worked up about because it's got its problems, it's also hidden. And Jesus is purifying that church, making it pure as his bride, bringing the whole church together as his body forth to do this work so that your people will give themselves freely in the day of your power. They'll be arrayed in splendor. It's talking about the robes of a priest. So we follow the Savior seated at the right hand of God as free will offerings, dressed in the righteous robes of a priest, welcomed into the presence of the Holy God to do his work and to work with him, crowned with glory and honor in completing the task that God gave to man, now being fulfilled through Christ and through his people. That's what God made us for. So take your mind off of the earth, off of the decaying body, off of your weakness, because let's confess, we are weak. Our bodies are weak. But our Savior has passed through death into life, and he's brought us with him, and he's seated at the right hand of God. So we should be encouraged. And that encouragement is going to issue forth in action in the next section. So that we are called now to put to death that which is already dead. It it doesn't seem that hard, right? We're, We're called to put to death corpses that are already dead. They don't have a lot of fight in them. Not if we work in the power of our resurrected Savior. So this is what Christ calls us to. What Christ calls you to today. Keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the above. And it's not just talking about the stuff. It's the above. And what is the above? The above is Jesus seated at the right hand of God. So it starts with the mind. Seek the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added to you if you're afraid of what's coming. Put that fear to death. Set your mind on Christ because we know the end of the story. We know where God is is bringing us so that at one time our life is both hidden and it's revealed because we see Jesus. We We know what God is bringing us to as individuals and as a body. And because of that, the fear and the desire, the greed, the violence of the flesh, we don't need it anymore. Dead men are not greedy. Dead men are not afraid. And our new life were raised up to the right hand of God in the heavenlies. So there is no fear here anymore. If you would stand with me and let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as we seek to obey our Savior's command to us, to have a mind like he had, who didn't consider equality with you a thing to be grasped, but in the very humbling act, in the very being putting to death, you raised him up and exalted him to your right hand, and so we follow him. We fix our eyes on the Savior, the author of our faith the prince who's gone on ahead of us and help us to do that, to not forget, to think, to let our minds dwell on Jesus and to let the pattern of Jesus infiltrate our lives so that we who have our lives hidden above will be made into earthly beings right now who are patterned on the Savior so that we're the best kind of husbands and fathers and children, employees, masters, slaves, because we're imprinted with the life of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would make that true in us, help us to be participants in your good work in through for us unto the glory of Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.